You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey there. Before we get to the show, I want to remind you guys that Black Diamond Equipment is one of the main sponsors of the Enormo Cast. And like the Enormo Cast, Black Diamond knows that the surefire way to keep climbers happy is to give them free shit, which is why they are now sponsoring the Mountain Project iPhone and Android app, something you formerly had to pay for, is now free thanks to Black Diamond. Download this app, download the cliff you're headed to, and you will have all the information you need at your fingertips. And there you have it. The Mountain Project app for iPhone and Android. Used to cost money, now it's free. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold that out. Out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And Defiant Bean is now Bonfire Coffee. How did that happen? Don't worry about it. Jeff is still roasting delicious coffee that will delight your taste buds and will make you feel, smell, and seem more sophisticated. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Normo at checkout for a discount. And now back to the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is October 1st, about 4.45 in the afternoon. This is episode 65 of the Normal Cast, I think. No, 66 of the Normal Cast, pretty sure. Uh, a conversation with young ice climber, Angela Van Wiemersch. I think that's how you pronounce it. She told me, she taught me how to pronounce it, but that was like two months ago. But I think that's what I remember. When you see how it's spelled, you'll understand the issue. I think she understands the issue as well. Van Wiemersch. Yeah. All right, then. Anyway, more on that in a minute. Just got back from the new, spent some time out there last week, the New River Gorge, my eastern climbing record. I recorded a live interview at the AAC event in front of an enthusiastic crowd with Kenny Barker and Mikey Williams. Thanks to those guys for showing up. Went pretty well. I thought it was a lot of fun to do. I haven't listened to the recording yet. It was a pretty wonky system, so we'll see what I got. Hopefully something worth uh, putting out in terms of sound quality. But it was on the fly, as usual, in a campground through a very elementary sound system. So we'll see what happens. But I want to thank everybody in the new. Had a great time. Yes, it is the world's best crag. I'll just say that. There's no way to argue with me. I'm the only one talking right now. And uh, that'll make some people happy out there. But I did have a great time. A lot of great hospitality out there. Many doors opened. Um, many groups of people allowing me to join them and have uh, a very personal and fun experience out there. So hoping to go back real soon. And we'll hear more about that as I put out some of the things I got while I was there. So I really don't have much going on right now. I'm hoping in the next couple months to really focus on doing some new angles and things with the podcast. I don't have anything sort of public happening, which is nice, actually. Uh, hopefully can concentrate on climbing a little bit before it gets too cold and wintry, at least here in Colorado. So with that in mind, let's talk about today's interview. I hooked up with Angela Van Wiemersch at the Outdoor Retailer Trade Show a couple months ago, and I really didn't know who she was. Um, Nathan Smith over at Liberty Mountain got me in touch with her. He's actually been a great fan of the show, and even though we've never met, we've collaborated a bunch on getting some of these interviews sorted out, which is cool because um, he's always suggesting folks that I wouldn't have thought of. So he sent me an email with some names on it, and I clicked through and had a look at people, and um, Angela came up as an interesting angle because she was a figure skater, and I happen to know a little bit about the figure skating world because of some friends, including my friend Lisa Hathaway, who's quite an avid fan of that world. and. Uh, it's a really interesting world. I mean, Blades of Glory aside, it's it's uh, something where pe- people and kids grow up in a very intense spotlight. 
with uh, sometimes very intense coaches and parents and whatnot. And um, I just think it's pretty fascinating. And I wanted to see if there were any parallels to climbing. So I got in touch with Angela and she came on the show. What I got was kind of a story about point of entry, about how somebody gets into climbing. I think that's really interesting. We actually don't really talk that much about climbing. It's one of those interviews where we almost kind of never got to it. But um, talked a little bit about her upbringing, what she was doing before she became a climber and this kind of long convoluted path, not just to climbing, but to kind of adventure and sort of expressing herself outwardly and uh, just kind of a interesting gypsy tale that ended up as an ice climber. She's interesting because she has very little experience as a rock climber. She went straight to ice climbing, which also I think is rather uh, unusual, as it were. I make the mistake in the beginning of calling her a professional climber. She is not that. She's very quick to to, uh, correct me on that. She has sort of a small bro down sponsorship from Liberty one of those things where she's, you know, just helping her make the make the road scene work. But um, she's certainly not a professional climber, but rather she's just somebody trying to make it all work because she's just in love with climbing right now. So it's also pretty cool because she seems to break uh, a few of the stereotypes or sort of the myths that we have surrounding ice climbing, the way she got into it, the uh, kind of attitude that she takes towards it instead of Instead of sort of this hushed reverence for the manliness of it all, you know, this kind of like, it's the angry sport, it's the tough guy sport. Uh, She sort of approaches it with the kind of enthusiasm I see from, you know, kids bouldering in the gym, frankly. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't doesn't seem to scare her or uh, the weight of it all, the the implications of the big mountains don't seem to weigh too heavily on the girl. So it's kind of refreshing in that sense too. And maybe... um, might open some eyes to, you know, the possibilities when you uh, hear kind of Angela's path to it. So I hope you enjoy it. Ice climbing gypsy, Angela Van Wiemersch. Oh, yeah, you yeah, can call me Van Stein. So, you, do you ice climb? Uh, I have. Are you familiar with the Stein pole? No. So, it's like a move where, you know, on a, a tap, like a beer tap, you pull down like this. Yeah. You turn your tool upside down, and the actual pick, like, cams underneath, say there's like a, say there's an undercling right here like this. You put the pick under there, and you pull down, and it cams, and it's called a Stein pole. Okay. So it's a play on my last name. It's a total joke. But you can call me Van Stein. Van Stein. So is there is there some translation with uh, Van Wiemersch? What? For what it means? Yeah. No. There must be. No way. All those European names like... Can I, can I make like, one? It was like the it barrel builder. Wild, the- wild flower in Alpine Meadow. <laughs> I think that's Edelweiss. But. Yeah, no, it's totally made it up. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, that's a great way to start, actually. Um, so I'm sitting in the uh, America Best Suites. Is, I think that's what this place is called. In Salt Lake City at the 2014 Outdoor uh, Retailer Show. My, I don't know, third or fourth trip here. Uh, with Angela Van Wiemersch. Also Van Stein, as we just talked about. Um, welcome, Angela. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, good morning. This is your second interview this morning. Yeah, it's good. Getting her done, you know. OR, busy day. So I don't really know you, Angela. Um, We just met a few minutes ago in front of the Salt Palace. But Nathan Smith from Liberty Mountain uh, sort of did an email introduction, handed me your your, uh, name and email with uh, on a list of people he thought would be interesting to talk to. And then I looked you up on the internet. And uh, there actually isn't a ton. I was going to say, what'd you find? I know. I didn't go that deep. I Maybe one page worth. But, uh, you know, I went to your your profile on their website and uh, just kind of like had this kind of interesting story, this skating background of a figure skater, which in some ways an opposite world of, of climbing, but I guess in some ways with dedication to a form and all that sort of thing, it has some similarities. So I'd love to talk to you about that. I think there's some other interesting things is that when I read about 
some of the other stuff you've done, this climbing in Zion, uh, climbing in Alaska, there was like this exuberance to it that I thought found really compelling. Um, you know, your your some of your you, the way you talked about your climbing and that sort of thing, just. I don't know. It right away drew me in. And even though I'd never met you before, and I'd honestly never heard of you in terms of as a professional climber. And I think you're, you're just getting into that. Because I'm not say. a professional climber. <laughs> okay. Well, you have a sponsorship. Well, because they're so kind to help me out with my entirely <laughs> idealistic endeavors. Um, they've been so awesome. But yeah, I'm definitely just like super keen to get after it and I'm doing good for what I'm doing, I yeah, guess. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm well, you know, I don't didn't mean to disparage you with that. I know no, some people find just, that to be a disparaging com- comment. Like, it's you know, just I haven't like, sold wow. my soul yet. You know? No, no, not like that at all. I'm, You're fine. I mean, I'm here at OR. Like, my soul is for sale. Like, <laughs> if there, if I could have a booth for my soul, I would have it. I'd just be like, it's yours for the taking, people. The highest bidder, you know. So it's not any way disparaging on you. Um, just the idea that, you know, you have this at least somewhat public profile. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like a young grasshopper. Like, I'm trying to take it all in, you know, like mm-hmm. learning the ways. So how old are you? I'm 23. 23. You are a young grasshopper. So let's talk about a little bit about your background because, again, this, this, I mean, figure skating, it's like it just has so much wrapped up in it, in it sort of culturally from, you know, I have a very good friend who's also a friend of the show. People who listen to shows have heard her on here, Lisa Hathaway uh, from Moab, rock climber from Moab. And uh, she was also on that track as a youngster. Her That's mom was totally weird. Her mom was a coach. Was? And I, I would imagine there's more. Maybe I'll hear from some other ones. But, you know, so she's always fascinated by it. And, like, you know, she puts everything aside during, like, the world championships still to this day and during the Olympics. And just her entire Facebook feed is about commentary on various oh, skaters man. and things so like funny. that. So I have this kind of insight. But then, of course, culturally, you know, from uh, the the – what was the movie? Blades of – Glory. Blades of Glory, yeah. best movie ever. Right. And, and you know, there's this other side of it where a lot of people look at this, this skating thing just like, that's the weirdest thing ever. Like, and, you know, sometimes the gayest thing ever and, and all these sorts of things. So, but also, one last thing I'll say before I let, let you tell us about it is that another thing about it is that it, it also fits this mode of, you know, the, the ballet, the gymnastics, this like, hyper competitive environment a lot of times seeming like you know somebody behind the scenes pulling the strings and that's probably a stereotype but it definitely comes forth in some of these sports where sort of young girls in particular are 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 sort of if not drawn into it somehow they find themselves into it and i had a good friend who was also a competitive skater you know and she told me it was like you know really really difficult and really really like highs and lows from you know all these sorts of things so what was it like to grow up and be a figure skater? It's definitely a different world. Um, I love skating. Like from the beginning, it's just an outlet, you know, like you have anything else. Um, it definitely was a different aspect as far as being competitive goes. You know, it's something I was like raised on that really isn't a part of my life anymore. So in retrospect, it's crazy to think about now, but at the time it was all I knew, you know, so you're constantly training and the motivation behind it, it really was, it was like to move up in rank. Um, and you know, while doing so, it's like, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, but there definitely was like more pressures. There was, um, more things to worry about. And the fact that the sports judged is just totally bizarre to me now. I can't imagine if I was climbing and someone was like, Oh, she didn't do that move. Um, we're not going to give her a good rating on it. Oh, she loses. You know, it's just different. So maybe someday that will come into I some hope of this competitive not. climbing. Oh no. <laughs> I don't think so, but I mean competitive climbing, we could talk about that as an aside, but you're not a competitive ice climber. No. N- not yet anyway, who knows what'll no. happen, right? We'll see, but you know, that's also like this kind of weird I think aberration in climbing, but that's Yeah, just I think my it's opinion, just different. I think there's a couple, you know, different venues in climbing. So how like how deep were you? Like what kind of skater? I mean, we're, are are we can we get on YouTube and find videos of you skating? You know, I'm probably not anymore. There is a... Those things don't go away. Well, it's the internet. They were like on ESPN and stuff like that. But I was definitely like... So there's a couple levels. And as far as... Because people always refer to the Olympics. That is like the end-all, be-all. And, you know, so you know where the the scale is. 
I was three levels below that as far as levels competing. So I wasn't like way up there. But the track I was taking, you know, it's everybody that I competed with. That's what they're doing now. You know, they're on the Olympic teams. Sure. And so if I continued, hopefully I'd like to say I would have, you know, been in that group. Um, but it was full time. I mean, I didn't even go to school full day growing up. I starting in the fifth grade. I went to school for like two hours a day and I was at the ice rink. Most days I'd wake up at like 4 a.m. I'd go train. I'd do like two and a half hours, go to school for two and a half hours, go back to the rink. Um, usually do like, you know, three, four miles, run, stretch. Maybe it'd be a ballet or it'd be um, a ballroom dancing class. Then I'd be back on the ice um, for another couple hours. And then I'd go home, pretend to do homework. Um, my teachers gave me way too much leniency. So they were like, oh. You're doing such great things. Right. You're going to be the greatest ever. They were so nice. But yeah, too much leniency on the homework and then I'd go to sleep and do it again. And I was like that for years. And what was your social life like? Well, I did this through high school or how long did it last? I did it through. So I did it through like my sophomore year of high school. And actually my last um, real like full time year of figure skating, I moved away from home. So 14 um age 14 and 15 i lived in washington dc to train and i had been out like uh i guess once kind of for a different deal but at the olympic training center in colorado and so it's just these like training venues where you know aspiring athletes would meet and i was looking for partners so i teamed up with a partner he happened to be out in washington dc and since there's so few boys i skated in like pairs it was ice dancing sure um, you kind of, it was either, you know, you paid for the boys entire skating career is very common amongst figure skating community. It's a rather wealthy sport as you can imagine. Um, or you don't have money and you just move to where they are and you're like psyched to have a partner. I was sure. like, yeah, I'll move to Washington DC. Like, sure. Why not? Um, so that was my last year. And so you moved away from home to Washington DC and you were 15 or 16 years old. I was 14, 14. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, my parents just, they were like, what? I cannot believe we're letting her do this. They were really supportive, though. And Well, but you go um, into a structured environment there, too. I don't know. Oh, uh uh-oh. It was structured, but I think I, like, ran with the freedom a little too much. It was was definitely, like, you know, you're 14, 15. You get your own little personality. You think you know what you're doing. Like, I had all sorts of opinions on the world, and I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. It was a great, great, great year. And then um, it just financially got to be unbearable. My parents did like everything they could to support it. Sure. But my Coney Island waitressing job, greasy spoon restaurant and, you know, coaching on the side didn't really cut it. So that was kind of that. Uh huh. But I'm glad it's crazy. I can't imagine if I was still figure skating, what I would have not seen, you know, right. it would have been like a different rewarding experience in life, but I've seen so much. I would have never seen, I would have still been in an ice arena. Like, I think I spent like a third of my existence in an ice cream. Sounds like it. I mean, it sounds like it might have been more than that. Yeah. And more than that in terms of your waking existence, if you take sleeping out of the mix. Oh, totally. Which you probably didn't sleep that much. No, I don't know how I did it. In retrospect, I'm like, oh my gosh. The the reserves that kids have, or some kids have, in terms of of pushing themselves. The last interview that I I posted was with Angie Payne, and Mm -hmm. she talked a, a lot about this, like perfection mode that she was on and not sleeping and it's just incredible but a lot of times i mean i don't know where you ended up but a lot of times people break down eventually and i don't it sounds like maybe you moved out of it before that happened well i definitely or maybe it never would have happened who knows i just think it was like easy for me not to reach that mode because Mm -hmm. there is an alternative reason for my ending my career you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it was like it was easy to scapegoat money i don't know if i would have broke i don't know if i would have done great and never looked back Who knows? But at the time, I was like, oh, money. Money's ruining the world. I hate money. But it was what it was, and I right. just moved on, you know? So let's talk about that. We'll move away from skating. So you're back. I mean, it's, this happened when you were 16 or so? Like, you were kind of yeah, moved 15, out of it? Yeah, I was 16, 16. Was there, like, a hangover? I oh, mean, did your life, like, suddenly come... I mean, what happened? Like, all of a sudden, you, you're just a normal person. Like, well, it was the most bizarre thing ever because nobody at school knew me. I was, like, that figure skating girl. So all of a sudden, I'm like in this circle of people who I really haven't grown up with. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, trying to get infiltrated in it all. But it was just totally bizarre. I basically moved from that into like being super um, passionate about sewing and fashion and making clothes. 
So I, I really didn't have to integrate because I went from like one hermit thing to the next. <laughs> I got fully obsessed with sewing and um, I spent the next like three years, last two years of high school and first two years of university. So I guess four years pursuing that fully. So I put out like a few little lines, you know, like amateur little clothing lines and so stuff. So did, where did you go to school? Um, I went to, to, to university, anyway, to university yeah. in Detroit. Okay. Um, it's called College for Creative Studies. Gotcha. It's an art university in downtown. All right. So all over the place. What do you do? <laughs> so like, awesome. <laughs> so you're like obsessed with this now. I mean, we're, I guess we're sort of see, seeing a, a, a pattern, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, you, you're actually producing clothes putting out lines what does that involve well you just like you you come up with like a collection you know and then you get your your cute little friends that are all skinny and tall to walk down a runway and show off your clothes right as part of your education i mean as part of your your degree kind of um it was more independent like i started it early on just to like you know try to um well because i had my eye on some really prestigious fashion schools and you know i was applying to them so i wanted some good portfolio and uh yeah, it was cool. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm still really like, I geek out. You should see when I'm on climbing trips, my notebooks are just filled with dresses. It's kind of funny. Nice. It's really fun still. Do you still fit in any of your uh, skating costumes? Because those are oh, great no, climbing those are outfits. Oh, no. so small, but I should <laughs> totally wear one. I think I'm going to have to bust one Yeah, out. you're probably buffed up a little bit oh, from man. those days if you're climbing all the time. So. But they're just so cool. You should see all the, the rhinestones. <laughs> I can imagine. I, you know, like I saw Blades of Glory as well. Cruising along. This is a climbing podcast. <laughs> what? You guys don't want to hear about figure skating? So no, actually more about the fashion. No. Um, so, all right. So what happened? Now you're kind of a dirtbag trying to pursue, uh, if not professional, at least a full-time climbing life. So yeah. how did this girl who's a skater, obsessive skater, obsessive-ish fashionista um, end up living outside of Salt Lake City? and just planning climbing trips all the time. Well, it's kind of perfect. Um, I I actually, I've been so thankful that money's been an issue in my life because I think if I had like all the money in the world, I wouldn't be on the path I'm on. So with university, it was another thing. Well, I, I was, I was going to ask you that. Like if you were going to this, what sounds like a private university. Yeah, definitely. That couldn't have been. Yeah, the scholarship free. was not sufficient. Right. As, as nice as they were. Right. Um, didn't cover it. So when... I got turned down for another student loan. I really didn't know what to do. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? I can't just get free money from the bank? Like, right. I don't have, and I was still working three jobs, but that only pays for like your rent and your food and, mm-hmm. you know, like a couple classes. Um, so I decided I needed a couple weeks to just not think about it, you know? And I started taking classes at community college and transferring credits and taking a few classes at the university trying to make it, you know, affordable. But, uh, more or less, what happened is I knew I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. I wasn't going to the school I wanted to go to. And um, I was working too much. And I just felt like I wasn't pursuing it to the fullest like I had been before. So I just needed some time to think. I was thinking about coming out west. And actually, years and years ago then, well, not years and years, five years ago. But I was thinking about Utah. And I knew nothing about Utah. But I met some lady at like... A dick sporting goods, you know, who told me about Utah once, and I had like the vaguest <laughs> idea of what it might be like. Let and, me, can I interrupt for a second? Ha, at mm-hmm. this point, you had you ever climbed yet? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, wait, once at an amusement park when I was eight okay. on the plastic wall. All right, cool. That yeah. might have lasted. All right, anyway, so you met this woman, told you about Utah. She told me about Utah. She was saying how beautiful it was. She told me about the uh, awesome Mormon population. She told me all about everything, you know, and I didn't. It didn't really hit me. It's just kind of like back burner. But when I did decide to take two weeks off, I didn't have a car at the time. I invested all my money in school and I kind of like didn't really have anywhere to go. So I was like, what am I going to do with my two week vacation? And I was like, I'm going to get on a bicycle. I'm going to ride my bike. I didn't really have a road bike. I, I don't know. It all seemed crazy, but it all materialized in like a week. Right. So this really kind kid, Blake Badeau who grew up with my cousin, he was like the local bike guy, you know, and he, uh, he got all psyched and nobody else I knew was psyched on this idea except for Blake. Blake and I barely know each other. We know each other in passing, but my cousin said, go talk to Blake. And Blake was like, okay, this is what you're going to need to get. You're gonna need to get this. We'll get you new tires. We'll do this. We'll do that. And, um, next thing you know, the local bike shop, uh, the hub of Detroit had fully outfitted me with like a 
you know, piece together bike all from scrap parts. And Blake could make sure I had the right tires, you know, to be durable over like the passes and stuff and dirt roads, but uh, smooth enough I could make good time on, you know, road travel. And then uh, next thing I know, like Blake's sending me off on my first hundred miles and like we're crossing the border to Canada and he's like waving goodbye and I'm off and I am just like in Ontario in the cornfields, like totally confused. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> You should have seen my bike setup. It was so awesome. I had uh, those boxes that you put kitty litter in, you know, like the kitty litter boxes. You see the big plastic tubs. Oh, yeah. We just like bolted them to a bike rack and then everything else that like, couldn't fit in those tubs, we just uh, put on with popped bike tubes, just wrapped them around. It was. And so what was the plan? So the plan was to go to Maine. I. <clears throat> How many miles was it to Maine? Oh, man. Jogging my memory now. I mean, about close to a thousand. I mean, right, I think. it's a long way, it's like up and around the lakes and above them. Yeah. So the course right. was out of Detroit, across into Ontario. You actually follow um, the lake across Ontario into Buffalo, New York, and then I was going to go diagonally through New York because I wanted to go through the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Um, the Adirondacks were somewhere that I frequented as a figure skater up in Lake Placid at the oh, Olympic sure. Training Center right, there. Of course. And so I was just like, oh man, I got to get back to New York. Like, I just love it upstate New York. So I went through there, went through Vermont, across Maine, and eventually I found myself in Portland. And this is where, this is where like my course of life changed. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was having an amazing time. People were like, giving me food and giving me hugs and pulling over the side of the road and like, call your mom. We love you. It's, you know, just a totally fun trip. It was my first time really camping outside, uh, let alone doing anything by myself. Um, I definitely, you know, it, it was new. It was a lot of learning experience, but so I didn't really budget it that well since it was last minute, as you can imagine. So I kind of ran out of money, uh, by the time I hit Maine and, no, I really ran out of money and I was running out of food. I was living on tuna and like power bars. It's gross. Um, and I had gotten woken up that morning by a cop who is like threatening to like take away my bike because I was like sleeping on private property. And it was, I was like, are you serious? I'm like sleeping on the side of the road. Give me a break. Right. So I was kind of distraught. I rolled into Portland, Maine. And I was like, oh man, where am I going to sleep? Maybe I can like go to the library, get on like Google Earth. Well, I had a cell phone, but I didn't use it. Said it was broken. I told everyone I broke my phone. I didn't break my phone. But anyways, so this was before iPhones, though. So I'm like going to the library. I'm going to go look at Google Earth. And I see all these like hippie guitar playing, harmonica playing, you know, dancing, awesome kids sitting outside of the library. And uh, being from Detroit, there's not like a huge population of like, I don't know, alternative living. As far as where I grew up, I grew up a little bit in the burbs. There's more downtown now, but that was that was like new for me. So I was like, wow, who are these interesting people, you know? And so anyways, I go up to them and I'm like, do you guys know of a place I might be able to crash out? You know, like got woken up by the cops and they all start going off. Cops, cops, oh man. Right. They're like, I know this really cool place under under a train bridge or you know you can sleep by the railroad tracks and i was like ah no that I'm like, doesn't sound that great yeah. oh god please don't make me do that like do you know anywhere else and uh they insist that i go to this um this you know hippie commune and that's literally what they called it and i was like a hippie commune they're like yeah just you know take this road take this road knock on their door and i was like i am not doing that well i ended up doing it they ended up opening their door and giving me hugs and free food and free place to stay and um, just being like the most wonderful folk ever. So towards the end of my night there, uh, those boys that told me how to get to that house came back to check on me. We're like, oh, glad you made it. You know, we're out of here. We're going to Bar Harbor. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Bar Harbor. Like, I'll be there in a couple of days. They're like, okay, well, come find us. We'll be at the green. And I'm like, what's the green? And they're like, oh, you'll know. Like, what? Who are these people? So they take off. I'm left with my own thoughts. I have a good sleep. And I spend the next two days uh, cycling up the coast. Uh, I arrive in Bar Harbor. It's nothing what I expected. There's like yachts pulled in. Like it's a national park, but it's just so different, you know, on on the coast there. And I go into this little ice cream shop and I ask what the green is. And she's like, oh, like the green, whatever. It's the park at the end of the, the road. So I get there and this kid is sitting, reading a book with two dogs on the blanket, exactly where he said he would be, 
And I couldn't even believe it. I thought it was like the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you Your found spirit us. Guide. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so his name was Chip. Chip's a big influential player here. Um, so I'm all, you know, having the time of my life and met so many wonderful people. I'm kind of blown away. And I get talking to Chip and he's like, hey, let's go, uh, you know, play out on the rock. So we're like sitting on some cliffs on the edge of the Atlantic and, uh, dipping our toes in the water, just talking about where we grew up, you know, getting to know each other and stuff. And after all was done, he was like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're just going to go back home? And I was like, sitting there, and I was like, yeah. Like, you know, I'll go back to university. Like, maybe I'll go out west, go to university, uh, finish up my schooling. And he's like, you're seriously going to go finish your schooling? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, why don't you just, like, travel? And I'm like, what do you mean? So he goes on and telling me that he spent, like, the past seven years hitchhiking and bumming around and finding odd jobs and just like enjoying his quality of life, you know? And so I kind of dismiss it to tell you the truth. It was appealing, but I just did not believe that I could just, you know, like get rid of everything, just go out and do whatever. So, uh, I, you know, had a good night. We had a big bonfire, um, made a bunch of food and I told him I was taking off. I didn't want to stop cycling, but I had reached my destination. So I decided that night I was going to go to Nova Scotia. So Nova Scotia, I'm sure you're familiar in Canada. Um, Halifax being the far point on the east side mm-hmm. of the peninsula. How long had you, been, had you been out on the road at this point? Two weeks, two days by the okay, time so I got you, to Maine. You were past your two-week deadline? Well, I didn't really have a deadline. Oh, okay. But I... My wisdom teeth were coming in, so oh. I was in excruciating pain. So I was trying to get this trip over with because I needed to get my wisdom teeth pulled. Okay. So, but I didn't want to go home, and that's when I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep on going, just a couple more days. Sure. And then I decided instead of cycling back because I was out of money, I was either gonna sell my bike and catch a greyhound back, or I didn't know what I was gonna do. Really, I hadn't figured it out. But then after I met Chip, I was like, maybe I could hitchhike. But still, back burner, back burner thought, mm-hmm. you know. So I keep on going. Well, I tell them, you know, I'm taking off. And Chip's like, I'm going to race you. And I'm like, are you, you don't even have a bike. He goes, don't worry about that. So I take off. I think he's just totally weird. Um, and then this crazy thing happens two days down the road at a gas station. I go in and they see me pull into the gas station on my bike. And they're like, are you homeless? No, I'm on an adventure. They think I'm just a weirdest person they've ever met so they're they're asking me all sorts of questions about the bike tour and stuff and they're local fishermen who own this gas station and uh they're lobster fishermen and i'm just blown away I'm like you're a lobster fisherman being from detroit just seemed like this huge novelty like you want to come out and i was like yeah and like do you have work and they're like well we, we can like put you to work so being out of money i spent two days working on the lobster boat and you know w- woke up first sunrise of the country like 3 45 in the morning on the east coast or whatever and uh out in my little campsite they like pick me up in the truck go out to the docks put on my orange rubber overalls and uh started rubber banding lobster all day they you know got them out of the cages i put the little rubber bands on their hands mm-hmm. it's super funny <laughs> and did that for <laughs> they're a few not days. called hands are they claws claws <laughs> put them on their claws <laughs> uh but so two days go by, I have my buckets of lobster and I go cook them on the fire, you know, at my campsite. I'm all excited. And I look where my bike is tied up at the gas station and Chip is there playing his guitar. Like, uh-huh. I kid you not. This kid has now gone on a bike, caught up to me and is like, oh, I found you. So are you sure you are not hallucinating Chip? No. <laughs> like Chip isn't like, this isn't like the fight club. He's like this. Oh, it's so funny. No, and Chip comes into play. Chip's Chip's actually got a hold of me recently. He, oh, cool. He's on a bicycle on his way to Washington. He's actually right sitting now. off. Right, this is a surprise. I've got him here oh, for you. Oh, Chip. <laughs> he got in touch with me yesterday. His real name is Derek, but he goes by the name of Chip because he looks like a chipmunk. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah. We just got on a bike, kept on going. And by the time we got to Nova Scotia, my wisdom teeth hurt. We wanted to do other stuff, and I realized, okay, I'm satisfied. I've made it to Nova Scotia on a bike, but the last stretch to the absolute far side of the island, I was like, whatever. I'm on an adventure. I don't need to be on my bike. So then we did, like, a series of things. We hitchhiked. We rode buses. We got in the back of cars with bikes. I mean, we did all sorts of stuff. Um, We worked on, on a blueberry farm in a valley. We worked at a carnival down in Yarmouth, this most southern point. I mean, we found so many hilarious odd jobs and met so many fun people. It was like this crazy week 
filled up uh, total, total fun. But honestly, so surreal. Like, I still didn't believe anything was happening. I was like, this is too weird. Got to Halifax, our final destination. And Chip and I kind of, like, you know, said our goodbyes. And I decided I needed to go home. So I go home. Chip's still hanging out in Halifax. I get home. I freak out. I realize I'm, like, don't want to be there. So I just get on Craigslist and I put everything I own for free or for sale. I have literally in like less than 24 hours, my entire place is cleared out. They were on it. People on Craigslist are impressive. Yeah. It was gone. So what what kind of sort of social, I mean, wh- what were your friends like in Detroit? I mean, were these people now like looking at you like you'd lost your mind or? Oh, Yeah. Well, my poor parents, as sweet well, as they are. I was, I was also wondering what they thought of this like ram- uh, ramble across Canada. When I left, my poor parents were like both in tears because they, my my You're mom. You're never coming back. <laughs> You're going to get chopped up under a bridge. My mom's a nurse and my mm. dad's an engineer. So my dad's looking at the statistics of a girl on a bicycle on the side of the road. My mom's looking at the pure accident right. she's seen. And what? come to the emergency room. Oh right. no. So the they were they were distraught over it. When I came back, they it was kind of cool. They didn't even realize they could be so proud. Oh, and cool. they were like really happy for me, but they were just so happy I was back. They're right. like, "Fine, she got out of her system. It's over." Right. And, and then it, did, it wasn't over. All right, so you sold all your shit. <laughs> yep. We do have to eventually get to to climbing. I know I've ramb- we'll just, rambled. No, that's fine. We'll just the, the last uh it doesn't matter as long as we say something about climbing in the last like minute of the show that it's a climbing podcast so. well the point of everything no, no, coming together is like don't let me stop you it's, it's just life you yes, know it gets it's in amazing. the way well you know this again talking about this this interview i just did with angie she's a midwest girl came from cincinnati you know and she talks about fe- being on this track this like track of success and and not finding herself very satisfied either only it happened to her slowly over time. And it sounds like you sort of just kind of like shook it off all of a sudden and said, wait a minute, this isn't really what I need to be doing. Well, I always had like a travel bug, but I think I was looking at um, a way to fit it in more like that was socially acceptable. So, you know, I had looked into TFL, teaching English overseas. Mm-hmm. I had looked at exchange programs, Peace Corp, you know, all these socially acceptable ways of seeing the world. And then I met Chip and I was like, this guy is awesome. He just does whatever the hell he wants. It's like, why can't I do that? You know? And it just, it all of a sudden occurred to me, if I really wanted to do something, I would just do it like anything else I had done in my life. Like, why did it have to be so structured? All right. Your stuff's gone. My stuff's gone. I called Chip. I actually call a coffee shop because Chip doesn't have a phone in Halifax. Yeah, I was about to ask you, how'd you get in touch with Chip? <laughs> is there a skinny kid that looks like a chipmunk smoking a cigarette? Uh, asking people for quarters outside of a coffee shop and they found him like instantly nice. and the tone of his voice he was like so psyched to be getting called from a coffee right, shop right. <laughs> so funny so he he's like yeah uh i got this free car given to me he calls it they're called kickdowns in the traveling world i got a kick down and uh i actually when i met him him and his friend jay had that free car so he's like, it's in Minnesota right now. They drove it to Minnesota. If you want it, nobody else wants it. None of us have licenses. You can have it. So I'm like, are you serious? This is just perfect. I'm going out west. So I get rid of all my belongings. My sweet roommate drives with me to Minnesota to pick up a truck. Or not a truck, a car. I get my wisdom teeth pulled. Chip hitchhikes in from Halifax. Meets my parents. My parents are absolutely mortified. Terrified. We're at dinner and Chip's... Every story begins with this one time when I was train hopping or this one time when I was hanging out with this hobo or this one time when I was eating out of a trash can. And my poor parents were like, oh, my gosh, she's leaving with this kid. I'm like, no, he's awesome. Like, what? Don't you? Little, he's resourceful. Princess figure skater. Yeah. What's happened to her? hundred percent. So I get my wisdom teeth ripped out. I have now huge chipmunk cheeks. My face is so sure. swollen. And we hop in the car that's barely running, and we head to the UP, and we start our journey out west. So during that journey, we had pop tires, ran out of gas, got landscaping jobs, got like just manual labor jobs. We played at a fair. He plays guitar. I mean, we did, we did everything um, to get out west. It only took a couple of weeks, but it was 
one hell of an adventure again. Um, you know, ducking out in Glacier National Park, trying to get into the Canadian uh, Rockies and getting shut down at the border. They didn't like our broken down vehicle. They mm. said it was a piece of junk. But anyways, got out to Washington. He ran into some old friends of his, actually the friend who got him into traveling. And it was kind of like a good party in ways. I met a girl who was an Irish traveler and he ran into his old friend. So I split off and traveled with her and he went off and traveled with him. So that was kind of like the end of the travel stint with Chip. But I had like made a made a friend for life, you know, and decided to like pursue my own endeavors. So the next, oh man, three years were filled with craziness. I went California to Mexico, went down into Baja, Tijuana, had some adventures, Ensenada, came back up, went into Joshua Tree, not as a climber, as a pure observer, loved it. Went back up to California, decided I wanted to go to the East Coast, went to New York, then went up to Montreal, Montreal to Vancouver, Vancouver to like, you know, central BC, went all through the mountains and the Kootenays. Then I went up, so what's your mode of travel at this point? Oh, hitchhiking. Okay. Sorry, I lost a car. <laughs> Long time ago, I lost the vehicle. The vehicle... Okay, that was another thing. Parked it on this guy's property because I wanted to hitchhike to Mexico. And he told me to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And then I got back and he was like, yeah, weird thing happened. Like, your car got lit on fire and ran off a cliff. And I was like, what? And it was just this total, like, probably shouldn't have left it with a bunch of random people I didn't know mm-hmm. very well. But I really wanted to like hitchhike through Mexico because A, I heard if you took a car, it was a pain in the butt over mm-hmm. the border. And B, I just like wanted to see it in a different light. You know, I like wanted to hop in the back of pickup trucks and like, you know, see it as the locals would see it or whatever. Um, but so the car disappeared, which is fine. I was very psyched on hitchhiking at the time. And uh, and this is like a couple years ago, like yeah. three or four years ago. At the- what year is it? This, it all started 2009. Yeah, so this is like it's in crazy. recent times. Yeah, like, a couple in a, in a, I mean, people don't think you can even do that anymore. Oh, man. I crossed the country so many times. I think I crossed the United States four times uh, hitchhiking. I've crossed Canada north to south twice. I've caught, crossed Canada east to west three times at least. Um, and then into the far north is where like my heart lies, into the Northwest Territories in the Yukon and Alaska. Um, and I've crossed there probably three times now. So, all right. So where does climbing come into this? So well, this is a climbing podcast. The we climb, have to talk about climbing. climbing comes into it all. Um, where I had been hiding out, <laughs> hiding out. I've been enjoying the luxuries of being in the middle of nowhere in the Northwest territories in the Yukon for quite some time. I'd gone back on and off for a series of years. I, I absolutely love it up there. And it kind of dawned to me that I should like come back to the lower 48. Where are you specifically? Um, have you ever heard of a place called Dawson City in the Yukon of Canada? No. So it's a fun little vortex of a town. It's an old mining town. Uh, first casino in Is Canada. it on the the road? Uh, it's on... Up, up to the... Well, it's kind of. It's kind of a dead end. Oh, okay. You, well, you can take it... In the summer, there's a pass that goes over into Fairbanks area, like okay. you go through Toke and Chicken. Oh, okay. um, but then in the winter, it's the end of the road town. Right. It, the river freezes, and you can like go to the houses, but the pass, the mountain pass, is closed. Right. But then I did actually live at the end of the road in the Northwest Territories, where it was like paddling, flying only. That's a whole different story. But <laughs> I lived up there. <laughs> That'll be part two. <laughs> it's just too much. I don't even know. Okay, so I just was sort climbing. of curious. Yeah, yeah, so up there, loving life, haven't seen my family in a couple of years, decide I need to like, you know, get back to the States. And Are you staying of- in touch with them? Oh, of course. Okay, good. Yeah, I know. Because I was just like, God damn, you're like no, ruining no, your folks, mom. Like- my folks knew everything. <laughs> okay, and at first they were really skeptical and then they were just really psyched to hear from me all the time. Cool. And they'd always ask me like what I was up to. And I have two incredible little brothers okay. that as they're, uh, and an older brother, but my little brothers, as they're growing up, they're hearing all these stories and it was like hilarious. They'd go to school and like do little reports like my sister is dog mushing in the Yukon. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, just weird stuff. It was super fun. All right. So you're thinking about coming back to the lower 48. Decide to come back to the lower 48. I decide that. Um, I'm going to try, I had gotten recently into the idea of expeditioning with a gentleman that I met in Canada 
and it was more like Arctic polar ski travel. It really caught my eye. I spent a lot of, I did a winter in the Yukon and, and a couple summers and like during the 50 below stretches to keep my sanity, I got totally into like dog mushing and I don't know, just like hiking and cross country skiing, a lot of snow stuff. And I really enjoyed it. It was such a Zen state for me. So I figured like crossing, you know, a polar cap or Antarctica or doing a glacier travel seemed really cool. Um, so I started talking to this guy who, um, Devin McDermott, who's an amazing dude. He is a big Antarctic guy. He does guiding down there and, um, he's done many personal expeditions. He's crossed Greenland by, uh, world's, uh, longest kite ski. He's just an incredible guy, but he got me all turned on to, um, onto that style of expeditioning and I looked into it more, but I decided I needed to be like down in the States. And if I was going to pursue it, I'd find some way to get into it. You know, where more I'm from, I got kind of like attached to Canada and when I couldn't get my citizenship and, or actually I could get citizenship, just not residency temporary. They wanted me to either be permanent or leave. They didn't want to keep on giving me work visas. Right. So I decided to come home and it was then that I would hitchhike down to like visit people and do some work in California that I got picked up by a guy hitchhiking who was on his way to Silverton, Colorado. So this gentleman starts talking about Silverton, how he loves it. He spends half a year there. He's a big skier. He's an ice climber. And I'm like, ice climber? Who are we talking about? His name's Courtney. I don't know his last name. Oh, okay. I just know a bunch of guys from down there. So well, and I, I later times ran into his buddies in the ice park. Like They're like, we're from Silverton. Sure. And I was like, you know Courtney? And they're like, yeah. And I told him the story and they died laughing. Um, but he picks me up. His car is packed, ready to go, move for the ski season. And I ask him all about Colorado and like where I could spend a season and maybe like train for like, you know, a polar expedition or something like that. And he's like, I don't know, like Silverton's really hard skiing if you're not a good skier. And Durango's pretty cool, but it's a little more populated. If you want a small town and like you could get into ice climbing, Uray is the place to go. And so I was like, Uray? He's like, Uray, Uray, Uray. <laughs> okay. So I wrote it down <laughs> and I, he was taking me up over the pass, uh, over to Truckee from uh, like Lake Tahoe region, Grass Valley region. So I get into Truckee. I sit at the coffee shop. I look up Uray. I see one picture and I book a flight from Denver to Detroit home for Christmas and Detroit to Denver for after Christmas. So that was like my committing to moving to Colorado. So I get to Uray. I'm there for like a week. I think it's the coolest thing ever. I have nowhere to stay. Got all my stuff. Oh, I stopped through Salt Lake City, and a friend of Devin's hooked me up with ice climbing gear. Chris Nance, awesome guy. Ski mountain guide, also Antarctic guy out of Salt Lake. And he just, like, loved how psyched I was and sold me all of his old gear for so cheap. I, I literally bought a bunch of candy bars and gave him, like, you know, 100 bucks or something. And he set me up with, like, a rope, helmets, crampon. Uh, Vipers, I mean, you name it. He was like, go ice climb in Uray. So I got to Uray. I met like the local climbers, you know, um, some of the, some of the hometown boys and, uh, they gave me a place to crash at. And there I started to like mess around in the ice park, you know, got my first couple days in and I just thought it was the hardest thing ever. My knees were so bruised, so black. It was, oh my gosh, I was limping around my first week. My first week in Colorado was the first week of the Uray Ice Fest, or, or the first week of January, which was the Uray Ice Fest. So I'm kicking and swinging on the kitty wall because I couldn't find a climber, climbing partner for the day. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm practicing my kicks, my kicking and swinging. And he's like, you're such a dork. Do you want to come climbing with us? And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I totally want to go climbing with you. So... He's like, okay, well, uh, Scott's going to teach you how to repel. And I was like, or no, he didn't say teach you how to repel. He said, we're going to repel in. And I was like, what's repelling? And he was like, oh, no. And he's like, <laughs> Scott, teach her how to repel. And I was like, oh, gosh. And so Scott comes over, and uh, this is Scott Adamson, um, Utah boy. And he comes over, and he has, he's barely putting his harness on. He's all hung over. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I'm a guide. I'll take care of you. And he gets his harness on. He rigs up the system around, like, you know, a little pecker pole. And he's about to wrap in. He's, like, going to put me on and uh, show me how to do it. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? We're not, like, rappelling off that tree. And it's, like, this totally bomber tree. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, that is so sketchy. Like, do not. I'm not doing that. And he's like, okay. So he puts in, like, an ice cream next to it, clips a draw. And he's like, how about this? And I was like, what is that? Like, is that, like, an accessory? Like, are you kidding me? This screw? He's like, okay. So he puts, like, three in, clips them to the rope, and he teaches me how to rappel. So we wrap in, and uh, I'm just psyched to be at the bottom. And I started doing laps with them. So this is uh, this is later in times. Is um, Liberty Mountains. Uh, Pete McConkey, head of sales, was the initial gentleman who pulled me over. And Raquel, uh, who did work at Liberty Mountain at the time, lovely lady, uh, also from Utah, and Scott. So the three of us, or the four of us, you know, just climbed for the day, and I had, like, so much fun. They actually taught me how to keep my front points in the ice, not hit my knees, even though I still did all day. Dropped some tools, rock climbed the ice to the top. It was really fun. And I retired for the day, and Scott was, like, I had brought my rope out. They had brought a rope out, but since I was on the other rope, Scott wanted to go climb something, and he had borrowed my rope. And I was so beat up that I had to go home because my knees hurt so bad. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'll just, like, find you later, you know? And he took the rope and whatever. So a couple days later, I came to find my rope. I was all, I thought my rope was, like, so cool and, and, you know, expensive and nice. And it was, like, so beater. Probably should have been retired. And I was on a hunt to get my rope back from Scott. I was like, Mm -hmm. that guy took my rope. Like, oh, my gosh. So I find him and he's like, oh, yeah, that rope. Yeah, yeah, here, you know. And um, end up climbing with him again. So the old borrow the rope ploy. Yeah, the, the ploy. <laughs> I just was so psyched to have climbing partners. I had been trying all week, and everybody in town was like so wrapped up with the ice fest. They, sure, they you know the locals like they're all involved. So it wasn't like and it's knowing. Plus, nobody. you didn't know how to repel. I didn't know how to repel. <laughs> I didn't know how to. That's climb. a little bit of a of a you know. Didn't oh, know anyone. So oh yeah, maybe we'll climb another time. <laughs> But, okay, but in my defense, right. day two, there's a mixed climb at the end of the park. It's really cool. It goes from, like, uh, it's gear. It goes from, like, a little ice blob to, like, you know, a little traverse, a couple hook moves, a um, couple cams, you know, put in a nut, like a pin. You go back onto, like, some more ice, more rock, finish out on ice. It's really cool. So they, you know, get on this route or whatever, uh, him and McConkie climb it, and then, uh, and then you know, they're going to clear it or whatever. And I was like, can I try? Like everyone just like laughs. They're like, Oh God, God. she's gonna, (laughs) she's just going to hang on the rope for like ever. And I was like, Oh, please, please just let me. And then like Scott was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Like totally. I like, you know, sat on the rope probably a couple of times, but I'm up there and it was so fun. And I'm like yelling down, like, what is this thing? How do you take it out? And it was like, I didn't know how to use a cam. I'm trying to like take out pins, take out cams, take out nuts. And he's yelling from the bottom how <laughs> to remove all the gear. So once I got off that, uh, and in later days, Scott didn't have a climbing partner. He was like, hey, I can drag her up something like whatever. And so we went up gravity's rainbow and it was awesome. I think two people climbed it that year. It fell apart the next day. And it was like the most surreal and beautiful experience that I had experienced in my life. I was like, this is insane. It's like three pitches up beautiful snow-filled valley below climbing you know like awesome they had like miniature ice pillars crazy rock uh scott was pounding pins and i don't know it was such a fantastic route in retrospect like i can't believe how quality that route was and how it was like my first outdoor you know non-ice park route and how it was like my third time climbing i think and uh i was pretty much hooked after gravity's rainbow because he showed me the coolest part of ice climbing, getting off the ground. Like That's what I love about climbing. I love how pretty it is and how high off the ground I can get. It's like another world. It was so cool. So at this point, or at the point when you got picked up off the kitty wall, mm-hmm. like you had literally just started climbing. I had been to a climbing gym right before I left for my bike trip. Right. I had gone to a place called Planet Rock in Detroit twice. Right. Okay. So I learned how to get my belay. Which I kind of forgot, you know, right, right. and uh, and tie a figure eight. So it, and then you had not rock climbed no. since then. Well, you never rock climbed. I never rock climbed at all. No. And so then you're on Gravity's Rainbow. Correct. A few days later. Uh huh. All right. So that's a pretty accelerated uh, arc. 
yeah, I got real lucky. You know, it's, see what happens. You like run into like experienced people in the ice park. So everybody mm-hmm. hang out in the ice park and lurk, lurk for the badasses. Right. It was so, so perfect. I felt so lucky. Right. And all the local boys were like, you're going to die. And they're like, tell him you'll only go climb with him if you climb the talisman. And I like didn't know what the talisman was. I was like, I was like trying to make jokes about it. And he was like, oh, the talisman? Like, yeah, we could climb that, I guess. Like, it's probably be a little hard for you. But <laughs> good sport. <laughs> tell him I could climb the talisman like, like third day of ice climbing. Right on. And it wasn't even in that year. It was like M7. But- so you're, you're, this is, a, I mean, we're talking again like a couple years ago. Yeah, this is two years ago. Two years ago. Mm-hmm. So you're on this accelerated crash course mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, since then, I mean, you've gone on to, to start to master a lot of aspects of this, of, of ice oh, climbing. I take it that far. Well, I mean, you're climbing hard stuff and yeah, going to Alaska ice. a couple times. Uh-huh. Um, climbing, you you know, the, the most recent thing I saw with you guys, you and Scott in Zion, uh, Andy Burr shot a bunch of photos of you guys climbing big roots down in Zion. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it is sort of like, I th- I think that it's kind of like crack climbing. People think that you have to put in all this sort of apprentice time before you're almost allowed to go to an expedition on Alaska. And with, I think, trad climbing, if not crack climbing, like that always feels like that too. But then, honestly, every once in a while, somebody just says that's not, we, you don't have to do that. Like, Well, I will tell you that what happened right after, you know, um, meeting Scott and climbing those couple of days in Uray, I mean, he was sleeping in the back of his truck and I was like, this is ridiculous. You can crash in my place. And, you know, a couple of days hanging out and meeting other people, they were like, oh, Scott, you going to Wyoming? And then, like, of course, everyone just was like, oh, Angela, you should come to Wyoming. And it like turned into this like, oh, God, I'm backing out of rent. Living in Scott's truck. I don't know this guy. I don't care. This is so fun. It's more fun than I've ever had in my life. And I'm going to Wyoming. So, I mean, it went from like, uh, let's see, Colorado to Wyoming, back to Colorado to Utah, uh, to like Maple, Santa Quinn. We climbed all over. And I think in my first three months of climbing, I climbed three days on, one day off for like 40 or 50, maybe 60 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I definitely got the fast track. Like, and you, I feel and so lucky. I mean, and you. It's, speaking of mastering the sport, you're climbing with with people who have mastered the sport. Yeah, like it's you, unfair you advantage. Got to like just basically, you know, hook your jumper cables up to these these you know people who, and particularly Scott, who are you know masterful climbers. Yeah, it was cool because I didn't have to like smack myself in the face with my ice tool. He would tell me like, oh, if you pull back on that too high up on your tool, <laughs> you're gonna knock your nose off. Yeah, well, your like that. your career is still young. So (laughs) there will probably be a smacking of the face eventually (laughs) at some point. I think it's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So like I am not an ice climber. It's sort of part of the show. Everybody knows that I was once an ice climber and gave it up for various health reasons, Mm -hmm. Um, like the health of my skull, for example. (laughs) And so um, (laughs) so I am a rock climber. So does does rock climbing fit into your life any at any point? Or are you so just like hard. this pure? Do you know how hard rock climbing climber? is? It's so hard. So my first season trying to rock climb. Well, I take it back. I was down in Zion last year, and I learned how to crack climb last fall. Unfortunately, I ended up like throwing my back out in Indian Creek, so I had a very short lived season. I think it mm-hmm. lived. It lasted like a whole month and a half of climbing before I threw my back out. But I fell in love with Zion and Indian Creek. I couldn't get enough of that. And then that's like the extent of my rock climbing. So this is my first season on sport climbing. Oh my gosh, American Fork is the hardest thing ever. I love it, but I am taking whippers and I am learning and it is hard for me, but it's really enjoyable. It's just different. So very different for me. I don't have a jug to hold on to all the time. Well, I, I was just while you were talking about it, I was thinking about it because it, it's sort of rare. I mean, most people specialize in one thing, but they've got usually have a wider background um, mm-hmm. in terms of having rock climb. Often first. I mean, that's usually more common than just going straight to ice climbing. Mm-hmm. But when I was, you were just saying that, I was thinking about like physiology of just of finger strength and things. It's not like you can really cut a, a corner to that. You know, yeah. it seems like there has to be a little like bit of time. Like if I try to. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and at least spend a little bit of time, you know, sort of on just just the just how strong your fingers are. Well, and the movement. It's yeah. so dynamic and it 
you know, people always are like, oh, you'd be good. You're a figure skater. It's like pff, so different. Like it's, I mean, there's an athleticism that you've you've brought to the table automatically, but I I don't see really <laughs> any sort of commonality between well, you know maybe when, balance, I guess, but balance is overrated anyway in oh, terms man. of climbing. Well, you know when you see like a good climber, they're so beautiful when they climb. They have such fluid, dynamic movements, and I think that's why I can ice climb. It's much more static, and it makes mm-hmm. sense in my brain for whatever reason. Sure. So it's like just been like good for me, but I think that's why the transition to rock has been so hard. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't just like walk off and do a move. And it's like, nope, you can't do that move unless you do this, this, and that, and sure. shift your weight sure. and turn in your hip and blah blah. You know, right? So it's I mean, mixed climbing asks you to do those things to a certain extent. Yeah, but you still got jugs. You got the jugs. <laughs> you got the the Stein, the, the double handed Stein pull. You have to get going. I know. I'm sorry, so, I've been yapping all. So no, it's it's fantastic. It's been this like crazy wild ride. It's it's another great uh, interview where I got something that I didn't expect whatsoever. So it's awesome. Let me ask you this one last question. So you are like fresh into this, really. You've accelerated to a certain level that is allowing you to get a lot of cool stuff done. You've been to Alaska a couple times, mm-hmm. um, climbing all over Utah, all over the Colorado, the West. You know, looking at some of these things that you've done before and then walked away from, I mean, where do you think ice climbing fits in to, you know, the future or the moment, you know, is this like the latest thing or do you think you've found the No, thing? you've hit it spot on. This has been the question that everyone's asked, you know, it's my parents in particular definitely are like, ah, oh, it's another phase. But I will say that this is the only thing that I've pursued that I've loved so much that fits into like my life in the way I want it to fit in. Like the lifestyle of climbing is so good for what I want to pursue. Like I enjoy being in the outdoors, being with people I love. It's like such a high quality of life. And then you have the aspect that you're constantly striving for something more. Like I'm still able to like push myself, push myself mentally and physically and be fit and be out there and be doing it. Um, and no one's judging me. No one's, trying to give me a rating i do it because i want to do it and i have goals because i just want to be to this beautiful place and climb this aesthetic face that i see and i'm just drawn to i think um you know with some other things that i've done in life like without doubt they i've been full of passion when i've done them but they just like didn't fit into what i wanted to do with my life it's like ultimately you know i didn't move to new york to pursue fashion because like i didn't want to be in a city I didn't want to, you know, be in this hustle and bustle and like be someone's coffee bitch for 12 years before I moved on up in a fashion house. It's like, wasn't my idea of a life and, you know, figure skating. I did see that it wasn't going to last forever and I didn't want to be on Disney on ice. That wasn't my goal, you know? So with climbing, it's like for the long term, I see this as like something that I want to be doing. I do see a future in it. It's like, I can enjoy this and it'll always be like mine. It'll be like my hobby, my like love, my, you know, experience in the outdoors and like, you know, never say never. Who knows? I might pick up kayaking next week and just be psyched. But I think I like it quite a bit. Well, right on. Be careful. I will do. (laughs) And thanks a lot for sitting down. Uh, It was an awesome story. And, uh, you know, is there a place that people can do you do any sort of blogging type thing? Are you any good at that or is it Oof, so bad? But I, right. I have gotten on the Insta web, uh, okay. Instagram. Okay. Um, you could find me on Instagram. What is it? Is is Angela Van Stein, it's isn't it? Angela, A-N-G-E-L-A underscore V-A-N underscore Stein. Okay, S-T-E-I-N. Cool. All right. Well, that's the funnest of all uh, of all social media, I think. You just pretty pictures scrolling yeah, down. Totally. It's like, oh man, what are they? Oh, they're in Chamonix. Oh, they're so lucky. Right. Cool. Well, thanks for sitting down. I really appreciate it and telling your story. Yeah. Thank you. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and thanks to for sitting down i got one more from the or show still left in the bag so maybe i'll put that one out next Ooh, big mystery anyway i want to let y'all know as usual that if you want to help out the normal cast you can go to enormalcast.com click on the help out tab check out what's going on over there a bunch of easy things to do like writing a review on itunes just liking us on the facebook page following us on twitter 
And by us, of course, I mean me, the Royal We here at The Normal Cast. We appreciate any help that you give to make this thing get out into the world, its tentacles reaching into the minds of climbers everywhere. Okay. Remember, folks, get out there, have fun, but don't forget to check your knot. So, what's that one with the horse? My blonde Ukrainian she-devil. Not Oksana Bayul. At 16, she won the gold, turned pro, and was named one of Barbara Walters' most fascinating persons of 1994. But don't let her fool you. She's as cold as the ice she skates on. She's like dry ice. Wait, she's colder than that. What's colder than dry ice? I don't know. I'll tell you what is. Oksana.